Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Um, And I have to say this podcast is a great deal more personal for me. Uh, Four years ago on November 12th, 2017, um, I got a text early in the morning, probably about 6 a.m. from a dear friend of mine. Her name is Kathy Hickey. And she is one of the spiritual mentors featured prominently in the Lighthouse Faith book. Uh, The text was heartbreaking and frantic. Kathy wrote, Lauren, my 15-year-old grandson, Adam, is dead. And even now, I'm almost brought to tears because I remember thinking about that. It was just such a shock because Adam was one of her many grandchildren that I knew from hanging out in the beach house in West Hampton Beach. Um, He was the son of Kathy's younger daughter, Naomi Brickle. Naomi and I call each other uh, sisters, even though, you know, she's Irish Catholic and I'm a black Protestant. Naomi had six kids. Adam was the fifth. He had a bright smile and an easy demeanor. Actually, he was quite handsome. He attended New Rochelle. Yes, he attended New Rochelle High School as a pretty well-adjusted teenager who just was beginning to mature and look more like the man he would become. In fact, I remember sitting at Naomi's uh, kitchen table and seeing Adam, and I'm going, "My goodness, Adam, you are really growing so tall, and you're so handsome-looking." His death created a gigantic hole in Naomi and her family's lives. It was a grief so great. Um, It had really divided her life into two eras, things that happened before Adam died and then what happened after. Naomi became a member of the exclusive club no parent wants to be a part of, those who bury a child. Adam was a light, but in the months and years after his death, she found that he was a light to countless friends she had never met until after his death. And what she had was found that Adam, his light is still with her in some amazing ways and ways that she began to write about. And that now is in her book. It's a book called Not to Spoil the Ending, But Everything is Going to Be Okay. Insights from a Teenager in Heaven about Happiness Here. And my sister, Naomi Brickle, joins me now. Welcome. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much um, for having me on. This is this is really exciting. And uh I mean, we have had we've had so many talks around, you know, your kitchen table with the pizza and maybe a glass of wine. Not maybe, but definitely a glass of wine. Um, and maybe of course, glasses of wine. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the truth comes out. Yes. Um, one of the things that when I when I would relate the story to people and telling them the tragedy that a friend of mine's 15 year old son died, I think a lot of people immediately go to drug-related or suicide or, you know, some crash because he and his friends were out joyriding or something like that. But it was nothing like that. You tell the story of what happened that night. Well, Lauren, that's such an interesting like thing that you bring up because when my son came to the door, my 
Adam's older brother, Johnny came, woke me up, um, wondering where he was. And as that progression of what we were about to discover happened, um, the fears of what could he be up to? What was he up to started to even sit for me. Um, so Adam went out, you know, we had a, a normal Sunday night. It was actually not a very normal Sunday night in that it was one of the first times in Mont, like that wasn't a holiday where my entire family was home. Uh, all eight of us were under the same roof. Billy had just recently moved home. Uh, he had graduated college and moved in with a friend shortly and just moved back. And uh, so we were all having dinner um, together. Kit, my older daughter, had cooked chili. Um, mm-hmm. We had a we had a really fun dinner. Uh, I my mom who lives next door was over. Kitty. And uh, it was just a very kind of special night. Um, it was a special night after a kind of sad day. I had really, um, my, my husband was sick at the time. He, he still is very, he's, he's still sick. Um, he's now doesn't even live at home. He's in a nursing facility uh, in the very advanced stages of Parkinson's. And I had been that earlier that day really saddened by watching the progression of my husband's illness. And, um, I, I had stopped into church to pray, to ask for my load to be lightened. And, uh, well, as I write in the book, what an ironic, um, response God would offer that night at 11. But so Adam went out to walk the dog, uh, Johnny, long of short of it is Johnny went looking for him and found him on the street. Um, he died of an arrhythmia um, associated with a condition that he had, uh, that I have, and that my other son, John Paul, has called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Uh, we were, we knew we had it. We knew Johnny had it. We knew I had it. We were all being watched regularly. Um, mm-hmm. and so it was very shocking, very unexpected. Um, and he... Uh, you know, his, his heart just stopped then. Yes, he was 15 and his heart just stopped. It just, the thing that is heart-wrenching in the book, when you talk about how you were searching for him and you go to the door, I guess the patio door, and the dog is there alone. And then that sends your heart just into panic. At that I point. knew then it was bad, but I never contemplated that he was dead. I had horrible, you know, I, I went to, I think somewhere I went to what, the, what the hell would he have done? Like what, what's, what's going on? Like, what is, is he on drugs? Like what, why would he have left the dog? Um, but, but really I just knew oh, he was in danger and I, I my head kind of just went to, he'd been kidnapped for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't live in an area where kidnapping happens, but right, right. you know, it's just when a mom's child is, is, you know, when you, that when you are filled with fear, your head goes to the worst and that's where it went. When you found his, you found John Paul found his body and what happened then? And what, what were the moves to try to revive him you know, at that point? Yeah. So I was on the phone. Like as soon as I noticed a dog, I said, you know, Johnny, you got to go look for him. Um, realizing that I was sending Johnny out to do, you know, with a man's task. And Johnny was, I think uh, he's 22. He was 18 at the time. And I was sending him out to find his brother, which I just felt like, what, 
this is crazy. And I called 911. Um, and while I was on the phone with 911, more relaying details of a kidnapping, I thought, um, mm-hmm. I heard Johnny's just blood curdling scream. Um, and I, I don't remember if I dropped the phone or said he's found and I have to go, but, but that's what I did. And I ran. And I think by the time I got there, people, our neighbors had already come out. Um, and Johnny was just there, uh, you know, doing CPR, like trying, pumping, trying to pump his heart back. Um, for me, what was so the the most, which I detail a lot in the book is, is for me, I don't have any recollection of an awareness that he was dead. Although Johnny does recall that he knew immediately that he wasn't alive, but that's not the case for me at all. Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. my first awareness that Adam was dead was in the hospital when I told the doctor to turn the machine off. Uh, How, what was, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think that that's a decision a lot of families uh, end up having to make at that time. And it's one of the most difficult decisions. Was there any question in your mind that that was the decision to make? No, um, I, I went through a list of questions. I don't know where, you know, I don't know where it came from, my ability to do that, but I went through a list of questions uh, with the doctor, like how, was there ever a pulse? Was, well, whether, like while the professionals were on the scene, was there ever a pulse? You know, how long has it been? Because like, I had no, I had no awareness of time. Um, and is, is there any chance that he could be okay? And, you know, to each of those questions, I got the answer that confirmed, you know, there really wasn't any hope. And so I, I didn't want to see Adam. I had that machine had been just horrible for me to see his poor body just being, it's kind of like a machine that does CPR, but it just was so aggressive. So I asked him to turn it off and then, um, and then, you know, before, so no, there was never any question that that was just, I knew was right, but I will say it was, the most serious decision I've ever had to make in my life. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I articulate this in the book as well. Mm-hmm, a, a, mm-hmm. a parent who has to make a decision like that is never the same. They are either broken or stronger um, because I know now I will never, ever encounter anything that I can't handle. Yeah. Yeah. Um these are the times that people question their faith. I mean, it really is truly. And what I was struck by at the funeral, really, and even before that, but even during reading the book, is that this seemed not to, you didn't question your faith at that point, but did you, when you saw that Adam was no longer alive, did you question God? Did you say like, why did you do this? No, I I, I didn't. And I don't want to in any way make it seem like wow, look at me. I've got this great faith because you know me better. Like I'm just a really normal person. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but no, it just never did. Like my right, the, you know, from the very first moment, like, which I do speak about, in the, but the, saying goodbye to him, I was not filled with anguish. I was filled with gratitude to God and to Adam for this beautiful experience of his life that I'd had. And I, I have no idea where that came from. Like, it wasn't like, oh, Naomi's being super strong and wonderful. It just happened. Um, 
it just happened. So my faith wasn't necessarily something that I did. My faith was just something that scooped me up and kind of carried me. And you were able actually to say the rosary in, in that, in that room. Um, well, I didn't say the rosary. I said a Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Um, I'm sorry. Yes, Hail Mary. Yes. Sorry. I, I get, you know, I, being it, Protestant, I got that mixed up. Yeah. Yes. No, that's right. Um, so I, I, what happened was, uh, thank God, my, my neighbor, uh, Amy and I had grown up together and Amy followed the police car with Amy and, and Kirsty, my neighbors followed the police car to the hospital. Um, and when it came time to say goodbye, like I kind of walked out of the Adam's room and I was like, okay, guys, I guess we go like, this is, this, I've never done this before. And Amy was the one who said, Nums, don't you want a priest? Like she knew my faith was a part of my life. Like, you know, I, I go to church on Sundays and stuff. And she knew that I had faith was just a part of my life. So I was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want a priest. So she asked and there was no one there. So I kind of, you know, maybe I never knew I was such a woman's liver or anything, but I was, <laughs> I was kind of like, who needs a priest? Like, I can go in and bless my son myself. And I did walk in back in, and I was like, well, what would I? What do you do in a situation? So I said, all right, I'll start with the Our Father, and I said the Our Father, and then I, you know, I was brought up with Our Lady, um, just always a message that was always kind of driven home for me by my own mother was that you always have another mother. Like, like I'm your mom, but the real mom, the really good mom, like she's up there. <laughs> and, um, so that's, that was always kind of a part of my life too. So, um, I started the Hail Mary. And when I came to that line, you know, a line that I say every day and never stop to even think about it, but you know, now and at the hour of our death, amen. And when it came to that, Line. When I said that, I was just struck like, whoa. And that's when I had this experience of this vision of these angels taking my son from my arms and bringing them to hers um, and, and laying him in her arms. And it was, I can't explain really, like I had no sadness. I, I, again, don't get me wrong. Like I, had a lot of sadness of losing my son. But in that moment, there was nothing like, it didn't feel like a goodbye. It felt like, I felt like he was not going to miss me. I felt like Mm. he was going to be fine. She was really good. She was going to be super good at this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that we were going to, it felt temporary. It, It was, it was a really gift of an experience. I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, but when we come back, I want to talk about that this was um, that 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 Adam had a, a brush with death much earlier in his life as well. We'll be right back to talk about that. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
Okay, we're back at Lighthouse Faith Podcast talking with Naomi Brickle, who was a friend of mine and who wrote an incredible book called Not to Spoil the Ending, But Everything is Going to Be Okay, Insights from a Teenager in Heaven about Happiness Here. It is about her son, Adam, who died at 15 years old um, in 2017. And this is really the anniversary week, really, of um, that death. Um, but one of the things that you relate in the book, Naomi, is about how Adam had a brush with death when he was a toddler. Um, explain what happened. So it's really weird because I'm sitting exactly, I sit at a desk now in Adam's bedroom and I'm where I'm sitting is exactly where that brush with death happened, where his crib was um, when he was a baby. But I, I was out for the afternoon. Um, and when I got back, uh, he was still up in his crib. And I was like, what, why is he in his crib? He should have been up from his nap like an hour ago. Um, anyway, when I went up, uh, I started to go into his bedroom to, to get him very frustrated that he was still in his crib. And I've been like, I was like, he's, there's no way he's going to sleep tonight if he's been sleeping this long. And as I started to open his door, I was like, you know what? Maybe I could get five more minutes, like just to start things downstairs and get dinner started before I get him up. I was like, maybe I should just take advantage of this quiet time. And I start to go back downstairs. And as I do, I'm like, no, I want to be with my baby. Like Adam was really like the most endearing baby. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I just felt called back to him and I went and I opened the door, like not, I just couldn't wait to see his face. Um, which when sometimes when a mom's just out for an afternoon, that's like, she misses that way. Like, yeah. uh, it's funny, but, um, and, but I went and I went, when I went to look at the crib, his whole, his face was, hidden. He was wrapped up. He had strangled himself with his blanket. And as I unrolled it, his eyes were in the back of his head and he was purple. And I screamed and Doug, my husband got the keys and, and I was like, we just need to go to the hospital. And he drove and I was in the back and, um, you know, fortunately the hospital was like, just like about five minutes away, but he was, he was breathing by the time we got there. And Although when I stormed through the doors, I screamed, I was a banshee screaming that he wasn't and he was okay. Um, what's just amazing about that is how much that incident ended up changing my whole life when I decided to write about it, mm -hmm. when I was writing this book. And, you know, so much of this book, when I start, like what I was writing as I wrote, I didn't know what I was going to write, like, or I didn't know what was coming out as I wrote. And this is a real example of that, where I just, for some reason, felt the need to write about that experience and mm -hmm. how, you know, in its relation. And, um, and as I was writing it, I was struck, like, just, like blown away, like, like, holy cow, um, by this realization, this new perspective that, you know, Adam didn't die at that moment when he was a toddler, he ended up having 12, 13 more years. And I, all of a sudden, as I was sitting at my, my laptop writing about this experience, this whole concept of a life cut short by a kid dying at 15 was transformed into a perspective of a life, a gift of life. And I got to tell you, 
to me, that might be the most important piece of this book for me personally Mm -hmm. is my whole life changed on that day where Adam's death suddenly wasn't the curse. And yet his whole life had became a gift. Yeah. And you actually look at the possibility because we're all talking about near death experiences and where people who kind of clinically die go to see a light or go to heaven and then kind of come back. And yeah, so you actually, I, you actually speculate that you know, because there's been, a, I guess, one book written about possible near-death experiences of toddlers. Yeah, so I, I throw it out there only like because it crossed my mind, not as something that I think might have happened, but something that um, just gave me, it, it worked for me and it does work for me. And it, I don't at all doubt that it happened because I look at Adam's life and all of these things he never articulated or did, but were so many, like the messages and the, and the things that came out after his, his death, the way he touched people seemed so purposeful. Yeah. So, so whether it's something that really happened or not, I'll never know until I get up there and he tells me. Um, But, but, uh, it's certainly that the concept of it has certainly given me incredible hope. And, you know, I mean, the more, cause I didn't know Adam really well. He was just a kid. He was, he was a kid, one of your kids, but he was so handsome and so personable. Um, but he touched so many lives at New Rochelle high school that you didn't even know how many kids he knew and how he was such a light and that those kids were pouring you pouring information to you about relating events in their lives where I was alone and he came and sat by me. Um, I was feeling sad one day and he didn't even know me. He came over and and talked to me. Um, Relate some of those things because that's what, that's what really starts to emerge as this kid maybe once was in heaven and has come back. Yeah. So it's funny when you say you didn't really know him, but you did know him. You knew him. You knew him really well because you were in our house so frequently. And what's interesting is I say the same thing and I live with him. You know, <laughs> I feel like I didn't even know him. Um, and interestingly, before he died, the, the, the fall, that fall semester. So he died in November, as we said. Um, but, you know, from September when he started school till November, I, for some reason, had this there was this kind of like pulling at me that Adam was under my radar too much. And I was a little worried about him. I was worried about all my kids with Doug's illness um, and how we were all dealing with it. Um, But for uh, Adam was really under my radar. He just was never really much trouble. (laughs) You know, um, I don't know. I'm not saying he didn't get in trouble or he wasn't trouble, but he wasn't trouble for me, um, which is a skill I think he got from me because I think I tried to do that a bit for my mom as a teenager, too. I just tried to stay off the radar. But um, (laughs) but but Adam, yeah, there was just there were so many like I thought Adam had two friends or three friends or maybe four. Yeah. but like he spent a lot of time on his computer. He was always going out with Will Avery, Peter, um, Will Avery, Tommy or Peter. Like it was a couple <laughs> of names that changed, but that's it. And to have like just hundreds of kids who felt their lives were changed 
because of him. And I'm not just like, I think everybody has fond memories after a person dies. Um, but there was just something really these, like you said, these, these messages of hope or of, of help. Like he, you know, he, he helped me. I had a, a one young man who's like, Oh, he, I, I was like, how'd you get to know Adam? He's like, Oh, he sat in front of me in math. I was like, all right. And he's like, Oh, one day I got a test back and I failed it. And he's like, I was in a really dark time in my life. And Adam, I, he's like, so when I got the test, I cursed and Adam turned around and said, yo, if you ever need help, I'll help you. And this guy was one of the football players, um, huge six, four, like <laughs> 40 to me. Um, he's that young man's name is Derek and he's now my other son. He, wow. uh, he, you know, it's, it's incredible how Adam has made these connections and made connections in such a simple way. He just sat in front of the kid in, in math class. And now that kid is coming over tonight for his birthday. Um, I'm teaching him to drive. I'm taking him to his road test. I'm applying to colleges with him. He he doesn't have a mom. Um, so he considers me his mom. Like, like it's just crazy. All of yeah. these really amazing connections. Um, there was another girl that when you say like, like, how he touched people like this one's so simple. Like that's so much of what Adam did was so simple yeah. and yet so life-changing. And just recently one of his good friends, Laura said to, what was telling me a story. She's like, you know, we were, she's like, we were, she's like, my parents went away and we had a party. So this must've been just shortly before he died. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, and I started to freak out. She's like, cause everybody was like destroying my house. And she's like, I was so scared. I felt so alone because nobody cared that I was going to be in so much trouble. She's like, and I just sat down on this couch feeling like I'm such a loser. These, nobody cares about me. Like they just, I'm being used. And she's like, next thing I know, Adam was sitting on the couch, put his arm around me. And he's like, what's wrong? And she's like, how? nobody noticed anything was wrong with me. And I told him, I feel like I'm so scared. I'm scared. I'm going to get in trouble. The house is a wreck. And he's like, don't worry. We're, we are not going anywhere till this house is perfect. Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is a 15 year old, like these are, you know, right. kids being total jerks. I was a total jerk at that age. Um, <laughs> and anybody who has teenagers who've had a party at their house and trashed their house know very, yeah. that's unusual. Yeah. Like it, it, it was just, it was, and it's like that, but it was, you know, I think of it from Adam's perspective, it probably wasn't that big a deal for him to go sit next to her and just make her feel good. Like it's not that big a thing. And yet it was life-changing for Laura. And I think that's such a lesson for me from all of these stories is that so much of making this world more hopeful and heavenly is really, really simple. It's just small acts of noticing, small acts of the courage to be kind. And it's not huge kindness, just simple kindness. Yeah. Um, I mean, you actually talk about the words of Jesus when it says, you know, when, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was lonely, you, you gave me comfort. When I was, I mean, all of those things that Jesus talks about, this is how you show the love of God on here yeah. on earth. 
And sometimes when we read those gospels or when I have, like I, you visit someone in prison or you, you feed someone who's hungry, then, you know, I feel like, oh, geez, I don't do those things. But we do do those things. Like it's, it's all of it. It's, it's being with someone lonely. It's, it's, you know, it's recognizing the dignity of a person. You know, sometimes just when I walk by somebody in a hallway in a, a building, I'm different now. I, I smile and I acknowledge a person and I recognize their humanity. And we just, that is, can be so powerful. Like for another human being who might look seedy, you know, mm-hmm. might look mm-hmm. like someone we might tend to be easier to ignore. Think of how a genuine, authentic smile might land on that person. Right. How much more valuable that simple smile would be to a person who so rarely has the opportunity to experience them. It's, anyway, that's one of my big lessons from well, Adam. You know, it's, um, we're in the middle, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And Adam would have been in the class of 2020 uh, mm-hmm. at New Rochelle High School. And New Rochelle, if many people remember, was ground zero for the pandemic here in the Northeast. And they actually cordoned off the town um, because there was, uh, I suppose, what do they call it? There's a containment zone. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't really cordoned off. It was more just like it was. It was more like like a pretend cordoned off. Like this is the containment zone, this square mile, or or radius. Yeah, but it was like the the index person, that person. yes, that was just that who 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 started to spread it. We knew that that was part of New Rochelle, and and the high schoolers, his class, Adam's class, really did not have. The graduation that they have, they deserve, but but you were able to speak at his graduation or the virtual graduation they had, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah, I was able to um, address the class, which I think um, was a really made it made a day that would have been really heartbreaking for me, really beautiful for me instead. Yeah, you know, um, this is, I think. The, the thing, um, uh, not too long ago, I did a podcast with uh, Pastor Max Lucado about his book, Made for This Moment. And it talks about the Book of Esther. And that Book of Esther is one of those books, one of only two books in the Bible that never actually mentions God at all. In fact, the author almost seems to go out of his way or her way to not mention God. And it really expresses the silent sovereignty of God, that God is all through the actions even though he's never mentioned. And I get that feeling about Adam's life, that Adam's life has some kind of divine stamp on it. Also his life. It's, I, I can, I so appreciate that because there's a chapter in the book called Minecraft um, where I, where I almost contrast Adam with a young man named Carlo Acutis, who is now being, he's now in the process towards sainthood in the Catholic church um, and this young man also died at 15. This young man, just like Adam also loved Minecraft. And like the difference is though, that this young man also had this incredible devotion to the Eucharist, went to church every day, mm-hmm. um, converted his mom and Adam like I think might've skipped church the night he died. <laughs> um, judging by the text on his phone, asking his friend, like who said the mass. Um, but, but Adam had this, so I like to think that Adam had a real gift for seeing 
for the where whereas Carlo Acutis had a devotion for the for the Eucharist, so a devotion to Christ, a devotion to Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. I think Adam's life is a real shining example of seeing the Holy Spirit in everything around him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have videos of his phone, so many videos where kids like of him like with animals. <laughs> Like he just was kind of like, like obsessed with like videos of him with a little cat or like being kind to a dog. Or um, there's also so many examples of him with children on the, like on our trampoline. Mm -hmm. So many, so many, so many, so many examples of Adam recognizing humans that so many of us might've just walked by. And I think, I think that's the Holy spirit. I think that's a love of the Holy Spirit, you know, a connection with the Holy Spirit within and and a recognition of the Holy Spirit in everything around us. And um, I think Adam nailed that one. Yeah. (laughs) He is such a character. And I think one of the, also the things, you know, the last thing we want to talk about is this sense of community, because that's so evident in the book that, you know, the people around, you know, at the moment of his death, at the funeral, I mean, a thousand people, you know, the standing room only, the entire football team shows up for his funeral. Um, And it was the community and he fostered that he built community. Mm -hmm. And so that's who showed up and continues to show up. You know, we're really lucky because here in Nourishell, Nourishell is a very diverse community and it's a community that takes great pride in the diversity. And all of my children attended Nourishell High School and every single one of them, with the exception of Mindy, she might point to the choir as her, you know, the thing that she she found the most important about Nourishell High School. But every one of my kids, if they said, what was the, what was the most important thing you got from Nourishell High School? I think every one of my children would say the the diversity, the the friendships, um, the recognition that we're all the same. You know, like I went to all Catholic school. I really only grew up with people who looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that awareness was a learning curve for me in a way that it wasn't for my kids and it isn't wasn't for Adam and isn't for my kids. Um and so I'm sure that Adam's funeral was the most diverse group of people ever in my church, um, both in every regard from, from whether, you know, race, religion, uh, gender, like all of the, all of the diversities that we could, mm-hmm. we might, right. you know, it was really incredible. Um, and again, a, just a, a huge, a huge blessing. And, and yeah. I think, you know, I, I feel like, like I said, that just the way the, the football team became such a part of our lives um, is it's been fun because, like, you know, I wasn't much into the football team before, but I'm a big, huge fan now. And, you know, Ray Rice is, uh, has endorsed your book, too. I mean, he has, you have. Yes, Ray and I have gotten to be really close friends because of Adam. Um, he's a really wow. incredible human being uh, as well. Like, I, I just, you know, he he, he has. The Ray Rice, we all know that Ray's life, um, his career ended suddenly for a really terrible incident. Um, but Ray, Ray and I, when I first told him about the chapter in the book, 
we had a very poignant conversation, which most of the time Ray and I talk, we all, one of us ends up in tears, but, um, <laughs> but that day, as we, right before we hung up the phone, I said to him, you know, we, we had a really long conversation about, he said to me, as I told him about the chapter, he said, Naomi, I think you're the first person who's ever seen me as more than just a touchdown or viral video clip, which is the quote he put on the book, back of the book. Yeah. But what I said to him was, Ray, I think it's, I think if two people, ever, if people ever saw the two of us walking down the street, they'd look and say, look at those two people. They have absolutely nothing in common. And yet we have the most important things. We have everything in common and the most important piece of our life and, and our happiness in common. And that is an awareness that the worst thing that ever happened to us was the best thing that ever happened to us. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, you have to just, because I know you, only you can probably say it, when Adam's Spanish teacher called you and you, you know, this is before he died, but he was, but that I thought that was so funny because it explained really so much who Adam was. Yes. Um, so, so Adam had a way of speaking, you know, when you go to a diverse when you when you're among diverse people all the time, there's lots of examples of things to imitate. Um, we all have our we all have our like cultural variances, and Adam was totally a dialect person. Um, <laughs> he spoke to whoever he was speaking to in the dialect that they um, he he used the dialect back at them that he heard, and uh, you know he one day he was in Spanish. This was a December. It was the December before he died, so almost a full year before he died. I got a call one night from, we were all sitting around the table and the Spanish teacher called. Um, and I've never gotten a call from a teacher that I can think of for, to tell me how wonderful my child is. <laughs> so I went out on the deck um, to have the call in private. And this teacher, he started to tell me a story. He's like, Naomi, your son, your son, Adam, I just had to call and tell you, he is one of the most remarkable kids. He gives me hope. He's like, I feel like in the past few years, I've lost hope in, in kids. I'm so worried about humanity and the kids today. And he's like, and your son, Adam, gives me hope in humanity. And he is funny as hell. And he told me this story that uh, it was just that day um, or a couple of days prior where a girl and she was an African-American girl um, and she was, I guess, a tough girl from the way she described. Uh, she walked into the room late. And Adam happened to be sitting at her desk and she stood over the desk and told him to move in a kind of threatening way. And he looked up at her and using his um, his own imitation dialect of how <laughs> she had just spoken to him. Uh, he said, yo, you got to you got to like stop acting so grumpy. You got to just chill out. And um, she just looked down at him, burst out laughing, grabbed him hugged him and said, Oh, Adam, you're crazy. I love you. <laughs> and, you know, he said, you know what, Naomi, he's like, that could have gone in such a different direction. Like, he's like, I stopped and held my breath. And everyone in the class laughed. Everyone felt joyful. The air in the class was so high and light. And it was just such a beautiful moment. He's like, I just let them appreciate and enjoy one another and laugh. He's like, I couldn't even teach because I was just so filled with joy at seeing what had happened. And um, I don't know, it was just, 
I've never, like I said, I don't get too many calls from teachers over the history of raising my children um, with with good news per se. But, um, but that was a really special, special phone call and a cherished, cherished gift uh, of Adam's life. Like as I say, the book, you got to get the book. It's called Not to Spoil the Ending, But Everything is Going to Be Okay. Insights from a Teenager in Heaven about Happiness Here. Um, and he really taught us a lot. Um, Naomi Brickle, uh, thank you so much. Lauren Green, thank you so much. And especially, I'm so grateful for you to be doing this this week on, on you know, the anniversary. And it means so much to me. Um, Absolutely. And what a great way to to just shout out to Adam up there on his anniversary. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.